and prayers we jump in the words would you please join me father we thank you lord in the midst of your presence good always prevails we're so so thankful lord for all that you do father i pray that you would reveal jesus in a fresh way today i pray holy father that you would touch every heart and that you would awaken our ears to hear what the spirit is saying Lord, that we could live our lives transformed and bring that transformation to the world around us. I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would touch and make alive your word, Lord, that, uh, that we would be so deeply impacted by it. God, I bless our time. I set it apart right now in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agreed with that, you said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I think technically it's still Thanksgiving weekend-ish, yes? Okay, but how many in here have no problem ripping off Thanksgiving in order to set your Christmas tree up early? Yep, all right. <laughs> I am one of those that has no problem with uh, setting up the Christmas decorations as early as you would like. In my opinion, there's no such thing as too early. There are uh, some cultures around the world that I, we have friends in. I, I visited uh, the Philippines several times on ministry trips, and uh, I admire them so much for so many different reasons. But one of the fun things about the Philippines is they set up for Christmas in October. <laughs> Sometimes September. We're talking hardcore Christmas music on in the malls. Everybody's got a Christmas tree in their living room. Come on, so if you're from the Philippines and you're watching, make sure that you say something to us right now, all right? I, I don't think there is any way to celebrate Christmas too early. In fact, if I, I might be able to, uh, to lean into that a little bit more, what we are celebrating, what we're declaring, the meaning of the season, the point of it, it, it ain't, it ain't uh, St. Christopher and flying reindeer. You know that, right? Okay, what we are celebrating is revolution. It's the invasion of heaven into an earth that's living contrary to the way that heaven was created. It's the invasion of heaven's government being covertly inserted into a world that despises the way that heaven rules. That the reason for the season is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords poured out from the Father, out of the Father's bosom, his love is poured out into humanity and manifests in time. God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. He lives his life in holiness, submitted to the will of the Father, submitted to the Father's plans and purposes and eventually lays down his life intentionally to create the way, to pour out his lifeblood to create the way for you and I to have connection, for you and I to be united in adoption as sons and daughters with this creator who loves you so much. It changed everything. Christmas was revolution. It looked like a baby in a manger, but oh my, when the spirit of the age got wind that the king of kings was born, the political leaders went nuts and murdered all the baby boys under the age of two. I would say that something was afoot beyond Christmas trees and garlands and nice little carols. Is anybody alive this morning? Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, when he came, he changed everything. He changed everything. This morning, I want to talk to you about what the real meaning of Christmas is. I want to talk to you this morning, maybe in ways that you just haven't heard either me speak about, or maybe you've never heard it put this way, but I'm going to attempt to share the good news of Jesus in a fresh way that should be 
Powerful enough to transform the way that you live. Not my words, but the reality of this truth. And this morning, if you find yourself maybe being challenged by what Christ has done, I would propose to you that it's a good thing, not a bad thing. This, this ain't the, uh, the nice little gospel. This is the gospel that really, truly transforms the world. You ready? You are agents of the king. You're sons and daughters of God most high. I'm waiting for some kind of amen or affirmation of some of these truths. You were purchased by his blood. Yeah. Your faith in Christ Jesus' death and resurrection, that faith has connected you to what he poured out, what he paid for with his lifeblood. We just affirmed that covenant through taking communion. There's so many amazing, life-transforming benefits to the reality of his kingdom come. But there's so much more going on behind the scenes that you and I are connected to that once you see it, your point of view will shift and change forever. You won't be able to live your life the same way after it enters into your heart. Revolutions in the wind. The Holy Spirit of God is breathing on his people. We have uh, heard prophetic words for many years that there would be a new Jesus people movement, that there would be a revival, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that touches and transforms society, that touches and transforms this generation. You know, seven and a half billion, almost eight billion people alive in the earth. You think the Lord forgot about them? There's a generation right now that I, our church, you know, happens to be kind of an exception to this rule. If you look around, you see a lot of young people. If you go to lots of churches, you're not going to see so many young people. Many churches are are, uh, I don't want to say dying, but are really needing to be revitalized with the next generation coming alongside what God had done. You know, there almost needs to be a movement of young people willing to take up the torch and go for that and see some of these congregations renewed. The gospel of Jesus Christ is revolutionary, but this generation is having a difficult time with the formalization of religion, the way that it's being portrayed, the way that we have facilitated it. Especially in these last days, let me tell you, with the church becoming politicized, we are seeing an issue arise where young people look at it and go, mm, not sure that I want to be a part of that, and I don't blame them. Because the good news means revolution. It doesn't mean siding with Herod. I'm going to push your buttons this morning. I hope you came ready for that. Don't worry, it'll be in a good way. It'll be in a good way, I promise. There is good news that's in the midst of a word that might be difficult. And I'm praying this morning, and I've been praying, that the Holy Spirit of God would, frankly, that he would pour out on you and get you a little drunk in the Spirit. So that the operation <laughs> isn't as painful. I am, obviously I'm joking, but... I am praying that the Holy Spirit would come alongside you today and that he would help you. He would enable you to see Jesus, how beautiful and how amazing his victory is, how life-changing, that you would see it in a fresh way, that your life would truly be transformed. That is my prayer. Jesus came and he ushered a kingdom into this world, and it starts with a story that we all know and love and recite you know, every Christmas season. I want to tell the story from John's perspective. This happens to actually be my favorite version of the Christmas story. Now, there's not shepherds in this one. There's not wise men traveling on, you know, camels from across the world. The star's not even represented in it. However, if you are more of a prophetic person, if you're someone who sees, who has a heart towards those mysteries, and you like to lean your heart towards the mysteries, this is the perspective that John writes the Christmas story. I would encourage you almost even as I read the scriptures to close your eyes and lean into it with a spiritual perspective. See the vivid nature of the powerful gospel coming into this world in a transforming way, not as a little baby in a manger with nice 
holiday trimmings, but rather as God inserting his rule and reign into a world that has been dominated by a political culture that has usurped and undermined it. Undermined it? I don't think that's a word. Undermined. Thank you. I appreciate that. We should get to know each other. Thank you. <laughs> that this world has sought to undo the rule and the reign of heaven amongst men. But when Jesus came, he said his kingdom was at hand. The rule and reign of heaven is now at hand. And it changes everything once you see it. Would you pick up the story with me in John chapter 1? John chapter 1. Prophetic eyes look to see what the Spirit is saying to you this morning. John chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 14, although the previous verses also are filled with prophetic language. But starting in verse 14. The Word became flesh. Whoo! Fire right there. The word became flesh. What word? There's been whispers throughout human history of one coming. The Messiah, the King. He's going to come one day. The original prophecy, God is looking at Adam and Eve after they've chosen to go their own way. They chose their own will over his. They violated the relational connection and they've gone their own way. And in the midst of that, the Father looks at Eve and says, don't worry, there's one coming who will crush the head of this serpent and undo all the evil. The whisper in the wind through the prophets that the Messiah is coming, the chosen one, the Son of God, would undo it all, that his government will increase and increase and increase until all of the earth looks like heaven. That the rule of heaven will come and the whisper of the prophets through the ages, through generation after generation, there's these pictures and the whisper of God's word, the word that came out of the Father. It looks like Jesus. That the word finally manifests in the flesh. And he dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, prophesied about him. John testified and said, This was he whom I've been talking about. He who comes after me has a higher rank than I because he existed before me. For his fullness we've all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ. Now catch this phrase. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he explained him. No one has seen God at any time. You know, talking with spiritual people, not just Christians, Religions all over the world, There's, they bump into something. I have many dear friends who would be considered of other religions, who, but they're sincere people. The, the story of the pursuit of the uncreated, the process of enlightenment, that they bump into the veil. That there's a veil that covers and shrouds humanity. That, that men and women, they press towards the heavens to know God, to know the meaning of life, to be connected to the uncreated God. But in every culture, in every religion, there is the veil. There is the, the invisible barrier that prevents man from achieving the other side and being able to live here in time. The pathway that's proclaimed amongst men in religion is there is a path of enlightenment, right? As if Buddha found the way or Muhammad found the way, there is the proclamation that it's possible. But let me tell you, it is not possible except for the one who came from the Father. The creator, the one that is beyond the uncreated God, this is the one that people long to see and they 
try to achieve and they press through attempting to connect with because there is a longing in every human being that was put there when Adam and Eve were forced out of the garden in the beginning. And the only one who knows that path, the only one who understands it, the only one that can reveal the Father is the one who came from the Father. That is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, my friends. Jesus brought a kingdom. He described it like leaven. He said that when it touches something, when it gets inserted into any system that man has made, any structure, all the organizations of the world, all it takes is a little bit of that leaven, a little bit of his rule and reign, the government of heaven. The word kingdom, it literally means the king's dominion. It is God's government. When Jesus preaches the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the way that heaven is ruled. And Jesus said that any time the kingdom of heaven, the government of God, and I want you to see this this morning, because when heaven's rule and reign gets inserted into any system that man has created, eventually the whole system will be leavened with the kingdom and God's rule and reign will be the only thing that truly matters in it afterwards. Jesus preaches the kingdom. Three and a half years, he demonstrates it. He tells all sorts of parables. He's giving a window to people. Hebrews says this concerning Christ, and I want you to grab this this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made the purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much or better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name. The one who knows your God is Jesus. The one who knows the Father is Jesus. I, I, I like to put it this way, that it is not possible for you to preach a sermon out of the Old Testament. Any principle, anything that you think you know. For those who study the scriptures, the Old Testament has many stories of wonder of how God spoke through the prophets and ministered amongst people. And there's so much amazing things to see and principles to draw from. However, Christ Jesus is the personification of all the wisdom of the Father. There is no interpretation of who God is or his ways except through Christ. He is the exact representation of the Father's nature. That means that whatever principle, whatever understanding you've come to know, it has to be looked through the lens of Christ in order to understand it correctly. So you can't preach God's judgment and damnation and hellfire unless you take it through the lens of Christ. You can't look at the Old Testament and see how Elijah called down fire from heaven and then slew all the prophets of Baal and assume that that's the way that you should approach your local, you know, mosque. You can't interpret the Old Testament except through the lens of Christ. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. He's the exact representation of the Father. What that means is that if you want to know God, look at Jesus. Do you want to know what your Father is like? See how Jesus interacted with people. Do you want to see what God thinks about something? Look at the life of Christ. Do you want to see how he interprets pain? Do you want to see how he deals with sin? Do you want to see how... Look at Jesus, and you'll know what the Father thinks. He's the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is the only accurate interpretation of the Scriptures. A lot of people have opinions on things. Jesus is the only accurate interpretation of the Scriptures. He is the Word. 
you want to know what it means, look at what Jesus did, how he behaved, what he told you to do, and you'll understand. Can I get an amen up in here? Amen. Jesus brought this kingdom. This kingdom is revolutionary. And so Christ spends three and a half years ministering among us and demonstrating. And then he talks about the kingdom, the rule of heaven, what it's like, what it looks like to have heaven touching the earth. What would it be like for heaven to invade earth? What does it look like? You know, I've thought about this a lot because I've had close people to me pass away and when they pass, I look back at my memories with them, the things that they said to me before they passed, and those words are weighty to me. I value them. Maybe you have these kinds of experiences too. Can you imagine if you knew that you were going to die seven days from now, and you had opportunity to spend all seven days with your family, friends, the closest people in your life, how weighty would those conversations be? What were the things that you would say would be all important, wouldn't it? It's amazing. You know, the book of John, as Christ approaches his last seven days on earth, you watch as the language becomes more and more clear, more laser-focused. He starts saying things that are revolutionary because he's making sure that the disciples will not miss the point. One of these statements comes in John chapter 13, verse 34. Would you look there with me? John 13, starting in verse 34. Remember, Christ came and fulfilled the law and the prophets. Why? So you don't have to, because you couldn't anyway. You were going to fail. You were going to fail. You couldn't live up to the standard of holiness. It's not possible. We needed God to fulfill it for us. This is what he did. He came and he fulfilled it for us. And through Jesus' covenant, that weightiness of trying to live to God's standard comes off of you because you entered into Christ. And now on the other side of it, there is a commandment that Jesus has given to us. He takes Moses' law off of you, the prophets off of you, and he puts you under one law. You ready? Here it is. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This statement, whoo, oh, buddy. You know, when we read that, I think there's this like Sunday school type mentality that we approach to this kind of information. We like, you know, like, oh, that's nice. We should love one another. Of course we should love one another. You know, but seeing the way that that unfolds when you recognize why Christ came and what he was doing, the government that he was inserting into the world, the rule and reign of heaven, that undoes every other system of government in the world, It's revolutionary. Look, look at, look at. <laughs> oh man. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I've loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, to follow Christ, you're blood bought. You already said yes to that. You got that one. To be baptized into Christ is to forsake your former life, and you are now united with Christ. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. He is your Lord. Okay, the word Lord to us feels like a religious term, but the word Lord in history is a governmental term. The Lord Jesus is your king. This is not nice religious terminology. This is Jesus saying, when I bought you, you are now in me. You belong to me. You are my subject. If you are my disciple, you will follow me. I am your king. You are under my rule. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you are to be his witness, you are to follow after him. Do you remember this one? You're not of this world any longer. 
You've been born from above. You're now an ambassador of your kingdom in which you belong. That is the kingdom of what? Heaven. You're adopted into a family. That family is a part of a kingdom. God's government being inserted into the world which undoes every other system of rule that Babylon or the world system has set up. Now you know why persecution comes. Because to say that Jesus is your king is to say that Caesar is not. You ready for, this is a great Christmas verse, you ready? I love this one, this one is amazing. It's the prophet Isaiah. No, I'm being serious. I mean, I tell jokes sometimes, but (laughs) Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. Right? You know this one. A son will be given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace. (laughs) Okay, ready? Jesus, born in a manger, carrying the government of God within him, aligned with heaven, shows up on the scene, is baptized into the law through John the baptizer. He submits himself intentionally to the law and the prophets. Three and a half years later, he's going to lay down his life as a lamb slaughtered on our behalf to make a way to come out of the old covenant and into a new one made in his blood. Jesus is establishing a new kingdom. It is the rule of heaven amongst men. This kingdom would be carried out through the sons and daughters of God who have covenanted themselves to the king. (laughs) Jesus says he's the fulfillment of the prophets, including this one, which means that the government of heaven was put on Christ and that the increase of this government will not decrease ever or the dominion of his peace. That means that ever since that first day that the government of heaven, the rule of heaven, has been infiltrating all of the systems of this world. It's been infiltrating. It's been touching and transforming and bringing down. It's it's not, no, no other form of empire ever in history has stood the test of time. None of them. Show me a single empire, show me a single government in world history that did not fail. All of them fail. Every single one of them will fall, will come down. All of them. Why? Because there's only one form of government that will remain, and that is Jesus' kingdom. Church, Christmas means revolution. That's what it means. Christmas means revolution, and this is what Jesus said concerning his followers. How will the world system know that you're a follower of Christ? How? Love. Oh, man. Can you say that about the Communist Party? That you will know that they are communists by their love. Right? That one's a little further away from home. Let's bring it a little closer. Right? You will know that they are Republicans by their love. Right? I want to rub you a little bit. Ooh, jeez. Come on, PJ, lighten up a little. You'll know that they're Democrats by their love. You'll know they're capitalists by their love of money. (laughs) Forms of governments cannot stand forever. They don't work. Systems, structures, they will come down. There's only one structure and system that exists that will continue to grow and its government will increase. The government of heaven is expressed in love. The rule of heaven is expressed in love. Jesus said that the world will know 
that you are my followers. Why? Because the expression, the greatest characteristic of my government, my rule, is that you will love one another and all people. Not that you'll have good theology, not that you'll believe correctly, not that you'll even have faith. But that you love. Now, I'm all for faith. Come on. Faith can do anything. Faith moves mountains. It's wonderful. It's an amazing thing. Hope. So powerful. Life transforming. Can sustain someone through the worst storms in life. They just have to have a little hope. These three remain. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest, the foremost, the big daddy, the one you drop the mic on, is love. The expression, the greatest characteristic of the government of Christ is love. And of the increase of this government, it will never decrease. And what? It will make world peace. All you need is love. Do, 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 do. You know, we talk about a new Jesus people movement. Maybe the hippies had something right. Let's go ahead and, you know, have love, not. Because the kingdom, that was really weak. Are you guys not familiar with? <laughs> Some of you, I know at one point in your life you were saying that stuff. Because you are one. The new Jesus people movement, maybe we're talking about revolution again. Maybe we're talking about the world system coming down. Maybe the moment in history that we are at is primed for the kingdom, the rule of heaven, actually to start to emerge amongst people. Maybe there's a generation that's been born for such a time as this. What does it look like to advance the kingdom? I think when we talk about advancing the kingdom, we take ground for Jesus. We're going to accomplish something for Jesus. Right? We use faith to declare we're going to do something for Jesus. Faith is powerful. It sees beyond what currently exists, and it helps others to enter into it. Faith is powerful. Hope is powerful. You give people hope about something, they can overcome great adversity. You give language, you give vision to people, man, they can accomplish things. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm not actually saying anything worth repeating. If I have not love, if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, right? But I do not have love, it Profits me nothing. What's that tell us? It tells us that every form of achievement, if it is not motivated and ruled by love, it is worthless. Church, you cannot say you're achieving something for God and violate love. We're advancing the kingdom. We don't care what you think because we're going to force you to obey it. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Come on. I, no golf claps. Either you're all in. <laughs> no. It's still a mixed crowd because you're not sure what I was saying. No such thing as ambition that achieves something for God that violates love. No such thing. 
This is what Jesus said about bearing fruit. John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear even more fruit. You want to bear fruit for God? You want to do something significant? Come on. You're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, they cast them in the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you'll bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. How do you prove that you're his disciple? By loving. Just as the Father loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, I don't know what full joy looks like, but I bet it's amazing. (laughs) This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. If you want to do anything for God, like it's actually really simple, but I'm trying to figure out what the will of God is for my life. It's actually really simple. Just love people. Love. Love. Do what's in your heart. Be passionate about stuff. Go accomplish things. That's all amazing. Let it be motivated by love. Go after it. You want to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus? It comes through love. Love reconciles, love breaks walls down, love speaks every language. Love is, it is multinational. It, it is not single. Why? Because we're from born above, that we are part of a kingdom that is in heaven where every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation will be represented. And we're ambassadors of that kingdom, and the language and the rule of it is expressed through love. How does heaven rule? Love. How does the government of God grow in the midst of a tumultuous generation that feels like it is walking away from God? My friends, love. Love solves it. Love is the answer. Love has a name. His name is Jesus. The Father wants you to bear fruit for eternity with your life. This is done by abiding in love. There's no such thing as trying to do something for God if you need to violate love. Love is the only pathway for establishing the government of heaven in the earth. It is the government of heaven. It is the government of heaven. It's revolutionary. It ends wars. It causes people with swords to bend them into plows. When you start serving the government of heaven, it ends all wars. He is the prince of peace. When the kingdom of heaven inserted itself into the world, that was the end of empire. Babylon has fallen. Come out of her, O children of the light. Leave behind this generation who is caught up in all of this nonsense of the world. You were born of above. I am a believer. I am a son of God. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ at an early age. I rededicated my life to Jesus at the age of 17, where he absolutely transformed my heart. I have been being saved every day since then. When I gave my life to Christ, it meant that he is my Lord. I served in the United States military. 
I am patriotic. I believe and love our nation. However, there is only one allegiance. You can't hang the American flag over the cross. It's not how it works. Jesus is your Lord. Am I up on your stuff yet? This is the meaning of Christmas. Church, this is the meaning of Christmas. Revolution. Why do you think Rome burned? Why do you think they try to destroy Christians? Why do you think it's not persecution because you disagree with ideals. It's persecution because your love undoes every system of government that's ever been created by evil. You cannot serve both God and mammon. There is one king, and his name is not Caesar. We're living in a time where people need to experience the kingdom of heaven for themselves. There's a political environment that has existed. Now, I have waited intentionally to get a little distance from all that nonsense a couple years ago. Let your hearts cool down, because I know lots of people got caught up in this, and you got so angry at stuff. Church, love. Love is the law. Love is the demonstration of the kingdom. Beloved, 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Dang. Man, John. This dude cooked with fire, man. The Apostle John, they, they boiled him in oil. But he's known as the apostle of love. He's known as the one who refused to have judgment on people. He's merciful. He let love rule, and so when they tried to kill him, they couldn't. Persecution couldn't stick to this man. Why? Because love. This man's cooking. He's lit. God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested to us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. Remember that phrase? But look at this. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Can I rephrase that? No one is seeing God any time, but when we love one another, we get to experience him. His kingdom manifests. Lives turn around. It undermines all the political structures. It demonstrates the rule of heaven. And can I tell you that the Holy Spirit is looking for people who are willing to say yes and amen to the truth that I'm preaching today. The manifestation of the Spirit comes in demonstration of love. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 goes like this. Spiritual gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit. Love. It's the wedding chapter. This is what love like, looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, you know, all that jazz. 1 Corinthians 14, spiritual gifts. If this is a sandwich, what's most important about a sandwich? Is it the bread or the stuff in the middle? Let me tell you, it's the stuff in the middle. <laughs> I'll show you a better way. You want to advance the kingdom? Love and the Spirit will manifest. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Spirit. We've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. 
And we've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, we are in the world. There's no fear in love. Love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have heard from him. That the one who loves God should love his brother also. I know people get disappointed. I know that people get angry, especially around disagreement. Can I tell you that fear causes all sorts of bad behavior in people? If you're afraid of somebody, you will behave badly. In the name of self-protection, in the name of, you know, watching out, in the name of, I don't know, you will use fear as means to disempower love. Jesus put it like this. He said, listen, if someone comes to rob you, which we have a little bit of that going around our region right now. It's a group of people that were showing up in bands and robbing folks in parking lots. What happens in your heart in that moment? Oh, we got to get more law enforcement. We got those darn liberals. We got to reverse this process of, ah, you know, and you start... And your fear starts talking to you about what the shouldas and the couldas and the wouldas, and you start defending the reason not to love. It isolates you, and fear pops up in your heart. And can I tell you that in that environment, love, God's government, cannot prevail. It will not be perfected in you. But if you'll choose to love, in the midst of fear, if you'll love, love will be perfected in you. Love will dominate. Love will do good in the face of evil. Love will overcome all evil. So when the guy comes up with a gun and demands your shirt, what should you do? Here's your jacket, too. Hey, man, you wanted my shopping bags? Awesome. You know, I have a credit card here. Why don't we just go in the store and let me help you find stuff for your family? What are we talking about? Because when fear is talking, we refuse to let love rule. We separate from one another. We hate our brother because he stands for something other. And there's no such thing as other. You are not other from someone else. Love is the rule of heaven. Love is what takes down and tears down the systems of this world that were created through fear. I have so much more to say. I've already gone over in time, but Merry Christmas. (laughs) This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And of the increase of his government... And of his peace will not end. I want so badly, I want so badly for your hearts to get wrapped around this thing because it will transform your life. It will absolutely transform your life. It will tear down all your walls. It will stop fighting. <laughs> if I get the musicians to come on up, or Tressie, wherever you went there, thank you. Would you, would you close your eyes for a second? Is there an other in your mindset? Is there, is there somebody that, you know, I think of them as something separate or different than me. If there is any excuse, any reason to hate It's time to repent. Repent means to change your mind. I don't mean crying at an altar. I mean just let your mind 
embrace this idea that Jesus said to love your enemy. That's it. Love them. Love. It rules. Love is the expression of God's government. Love is the marked characteristic that you have Jesus as your king. This is the true meaning of Christmas, that the Messiah came and has established the rule and reign of heaven on the earth, and his government rules through love. And this love overcomes and it heals all forms of brokenness. It restores. And even in the face of terrible persecution, where the world hates it, love cannot be undone. To receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior is to become born again. You become a citizen of heaven. Heaven is now your home. And the command of your Lord, your King, is this, that you love. Holy Spirit of God, I pray this morning that you would come and that you would reveal Jesus. That we would see you more clearly, Jesus. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I, this is the fun thing about preaching this way because when the gospel is preached and when love is demonstrated, the Holy Spirit loves to show up. And the way he manifests through healing and miracles, prophetic stuff starts to take place. God moves among us and wonderful things happen. So I want to pray just for a moment here. I want to pray for you. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to do his thing, okay? So just close your eyes. I just want you to be in the moment with God here. And Holy Spirit of God, would you just come? Would you manifest among us? Would you show and demonstrate the love of God? Thank you. If there's anybody in here today, if you had sickness or disease in your body, you need healing from the Lord and you want Jesus to heal you, if that's you, listen, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you right now. And so if you came in here today, you, got heal, you need healing. If that's you, just wave at me real quick. Just wave at me. You need, you need God to touch your body. Look at that. Awesome. Okay. Would you just look around real quick? Just wave again, okay? Again. Church, you're standing next to people that need a touch from heaven and the Holy Spirit wants to manifest through you, okay? I don't want us moving around. I don't want us getting big groups. But if you're standing next to somebody, would you just put a hand on their shoulder right now? If you're near someone, just extend a hand towards those people that lifted up their hands. Just once again, you need healing. Just wave again. Just identify yourself. Okay. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we proclaim the finished work of the cross over them. In the name of Jesus, we demand, we command sickness and disease to go. Lord, you said that in love, that when we pray, the Father is glorified to answer those prayers. Anything we ask. And so, Father, this morning I'm asking that every disease and every sickness would be removed from people's bodies today. In Jesus' name. Come on, is there any amens up in this house today? In the name of Jesus, we command cancer to go. Now, in Jesus' name. I release mercy over each one. Even if disease or sickness was a result of your decision, as if it was a ramification, especially you, I just release the mercy of the Lord over you today. Be healed. Receive forgiveness and be healed this morning. Let it go. In Jesus' name, we speak healing. The body ministers healing this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Where there has been torment, if you found yourself in torment, I'm not, again, I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself. I just want you to receive this morning. You've had tormenting dreams. You have a sense of impending doom. You feel like these are your last days. You feel the sense of death over you. You have a fear about something. It doesn't go away. It doesn't relent. Sometimes it lifts for a little bit, but you know that you're feeling torment. It's like a dread in your soul. If that's you this morning, church, the Lord Jesus is delivering you today. If you'll receive it right now, that thing will never come back. Would you just open your hands right now and just receive my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, the Lord rebuke you, devil. All forms of demonic torment, you have come to an end, and we cancel your assignment against these here. 
and in the name of Jesus and by the blood of the Lord, I command you to release them and to go now. You are bound, leave them now in Jesus' name. All forms of torment be done in Jesus' name. Now hear me out, okay, if that was you, you need to hear me. Torment in a believer is almost always the result of unforgiveness. Don't leave here today without giving mercy to the person that hurt you. You don't want that torment back. It's going, but you've got to release forgiveness. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. I tricked you a little bit. We got rid of the demon, and now you've got to forgive, okay? If that was you this morning, I just want you to pray with me. Just under your breath. It doesn't need to be embarrassing, none of that kind of stuff. The rest of you guys can agree with these prayers, but it's just like this. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Lord, I receive your forgiveness today. Thank you for delivering me. And now, Lord, I choose to forgive those who have hurt me. I give mercy. I do not require punishment of them. I surrender my right to justice over to you, Jesus, because you are the one who executes justice. So I surrender, I relinquish my claim on injustice. I give it to you, Jesus, and I choose to have mercy on them in this lifetime. Holy Spirit, would you seal those prayers right now? Thank you, Lord. Yep. Thank you, Jesus. Now, would you put a hand on your own heart right now? This is for everybody. Because the scripture says this, that love grows cold in the environment of iniquity and sin. Because of sin, love will grow cold. But oh, that's not you, my friend. Oh, no. You were born for such a time as this. And so what we're asking this morning is, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you ignite fire in every heart? The fire of heaven. The fire of heaven. The fire of love. Come and seal every heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, we repent from the heights from which we have fallen. For we forsook our first love. And Jesus says to you, Repent and remember the deeds that you did at first, the deeds out of love. Return to them. Do it again. Holy Spirit, right now, would you release your holy fire over every heart? Cause love to swell the fires of heaven, the rule of heaven over every heart, the fire of God touching and burning brightly in each one. The fire of heaven rekindle love. Father, I release mercy over the sinner, over those who have become calloused and hard because of choices. Or I release mercy. Be forgiven this morning. Would you just let that stuff go? Let his fire retouch your heart. Let's go back and remember the deeds that we did at first, the stuff that Jesus did to begin with. What'd you do when you were passionate about Jesus? Revisit that stuff. He's there waiting for you. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Now, would you just put your hands out and just receive like a big present, okay? The presence of God is in this place, and he wants to bless you. And so I'm going to declare a blessing, and I want you to open up wide to receive it, because all of it's coming for you. Like a freight train out of heaven. She's a-coming. Father, this morning, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for hearts turning and eyes awakening and revelation coming that lives might be transformed. I thank you, Jesus, for your mercy that diseases got left in this building today, that sickness is gone from people, that you're rejuvenating cold hearts. Oh, Lord, all of it. We love you, Jesus. And no, Lord, I bless your people this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's favor and his countenance shine over your life. May the Lord be gracious to you and grant you his peace that you would advance this kingdom of love and peace 
with all of your days. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. And anybody who dared to agree with this stuff said, come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord this morning? God bless you guys. Have an amazing, amazing week.